Hi, I'm Susan Moore, Community Engagement Manager with IIBA. And I'm Scott Bennett, Manager of Business Analysis with the International Institute of Business Analysis. And this is Business Analysis Live. Today, our topic is, where does business analysis fit in Agile? We've got a guest with us today, and why don't I hand it over to you, Susan? You can introduce Ryland. So Ryland Layton, he, listen, he is an author. He is a speaker. He's, he's like a BA every day, hashtag. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, and so we're excited to have him because he regularly speaks on not just um, agile topics, but also business analysis topics. And he spoke on this topic in January and we had a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback. So we wanted to have Ryland come on um, and talk some more about it. Also to show off his handy skills, that beautiful statement wall is a product of his, uh, of his hard work as well. So Ryland, Thank thanks you. for joining us. Thank you. Right. So, so I, uh... I don't know that I can even add to that introduction. It's one of the nicer ones I've had, so thank you. So yes, I'm Ryland Layton. I'm, I'm a senior business analyst and agile coach at the Cognizant Microsoft Business Group. So uh, if you're one of our famous clients, it's great to have you on the session today. And uh, I am happy to get the chance to talk about this with folks. And kind of like Susan was saying, um, the, thing I, the thing I get brought in for on these things is I, I'm a BA. I do it every day. I love helping others get it. I love helping other people have that aha moment where they learn something new, which is one reason I do a lot of education and training and some of the books I've written. And I'm looking forward to any part of that I can bring from that real world everyday stuff that I live to this conversation today. I'm, I'm happy to be doing. That's great. And Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Um, for our guests that are on LinkedIn Live, um, this is all about an interactive session. We are actually live right now. So we're taking your questions. So if you've got questions for us around Agile, uh, please ask them um, and we'll get uh, Ryland's expertise on this. So I'm really excited about this, Rylan. Um, I haven't myself participated in a lot of Agile <laughs> projects um, and my role is a manager of business analysis. So my first question for you is, as a, a manager helping people through this, what yeah. type of advice would you give managers on how to support your team in doing agile work? So it's an interesting question. I think there's two things that come to mind. One, as the manager is to remind people that as a BA, you are all throughout, if I'm going to use Scrum as a simple thing, because we all, people are so familiar with Scrum. You are all throughout the life cycle. Interestingly, you're not so much in the sprint itself, unless someone needs you. <clears throat> because for a sprint to start successfully, your work that you are preparing for the team, like if you're preparing user stories or whatever your artifact of choice is, the team is going to work from, that has to be ready the day they start. Um, a thing we were talking about in, the, uh, in our, our sort of green room before this, folks, was <clears throat> some folks and some, some folks get this idea that well, if we're going to do a story in a sprint, that includes all the analysis work getting done in that sprint also. And that almost never works. Typically, you have to do a lot of analysis work to, to get it ready for the team. And adding that into a two-week cycle for a typical sprint length, you know, if you're doing sprint type stuff, it doesn't work. So the thing I always tell BAs, and I would encourage BA managers to tell their folks, is 
the top job you have as a BA in an agile world is making sure that sprint launches on time with high quality stories that the team can use and complete easily and don't get rejected and so forth. Like 90 plus percent of the work you bring to the estimation session and the sprint planning session, if that's the way you're working, the team should look at it and say, yeah, that makes sense and be able to work it through. Take it into the sprint and go on. And then in the sprint, they're asking you to validate the work that's been done sometimes, like look at it, or they ask you a question here or there. But otherwise, you're you're focused on that next sprint. You just launched a sprint successfully. You got a two-week clock running until the next one launches. You got to be ready for that. That's your whole focus. Okay. If you can't do that in an agile world, you're not going to be a successful BA. Okay. That, that's great. That's really helpful. And I, I think this is one of the most frustrating myths, uh, having been both a leader of BAs and having been one of those BAs on an Agile project. It is one of the most frustrating myths that, no, no, we're, we're just going to do all of that. And, you know, you will never get your user story to done if you start analysis in the same sprint. So in some ways, so you said work ahead, and I, I think there is an automatic interpretation of, oh, but you mean we'll have to work waterfall? And I would disagree with that use of the word waterfall. You do need to work ahead. You need to um, iterate um, with some frequency uh, and you should plan for that requirements work um, and when you think you're gonna have it delivered. When, when you came and talked with us um, in January, which by the way, we've got that, if you're a member, we've got the recording on our website in our archive so people can see all of this. Um, but you talked about having a good definition of ready. Um, so we always talk about those user stories having definition of done, which is what is it gonna take to deliver it? You talked about definition of ready. Can you give us a, a, your definition of ready? Sure. Um, I think those are really, really helpful things because so definition of done is after I've gotten the work, what will, at what point do I declare it's done, right? That's what a definition of done is. And usually that's for the development team. A definition of ready is where you take something in the world and you say, this thing is ready for the next thing when I have done this. It's a little bit of a different definition. It's still sort of a definition of done, but we're using it to mean it's not that I've completed something. It's that I have gotten something to a state that the next person in the chain can use it. So I like to say a definition of ready to estimate a story, a very common thing for BAs to live with, is that the BA says the story is good, it's solid, it meets the invest criteria, uh, that the technical partner, which might be the tech lead or a developer you work with, whoever it is, has looked over that story and said, yeah, we could make that story happen. I agree with you. That is a, from a technical viewpoint, you have specified enough and I get the point of the story and I, I have at least one way to build this because it might be somebody else building it. So there's at least one way to do the thing you've said, and you've answered all the questions, the ACs are good. Um, in some cases, depending on the world I'm, I happen to be working at that minute, sometimes the product owner will look at the story also and say, yes, that, that's the thing I actually want that represents me correctly. Because a BA, I'm kind of working on their behalf as their proxy in some ways. Um, but you know, sometimes, frequently I just have worked on it with them initially and I may or may not, may not show them the story directly. Um, but, you know, often I do. They can always see it. At that point, right, I gotta, I've got i written a thing I think is valuable and, and small and testable. And, and now the team, is, the team per partner has told me, yep, that's estimatable. We can do that. And then it's ready to estimate. Once it's been estimated, then it is ready to play and could be drawn into a backlog. So I often encourage BAs to maybe add these three statuses to their uh, 
you know, DevOps or Jira or whatever you're using, something like in analysis, which just means I'm working on it at the moment. When I'm bringing it to the table, that's open to debate, but I'm working this story actively, working to analyze it, and then ready to estimate and then ready to play. Because my Scrum Master, the, who's my key partner, right? One of my key partners, they should start to see things tick over into that ready to estimate state by sprint planning, right? If they see a whole bunch of stuff in analysis, but not in ready to estimate, they might reasonably call me and say, are you gonna bring like, we got five or we got 10 stories for next sprint. Three of them say ready to estimate and we're, estimate, we're doing estimation tomorrow. You, you good? And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fine. I've got a meeting with our technical partner this afternoon. We just couldn't find time. Yeah. So it, it lets that transparency and accountability come in, which makes everybody a lot happier, right? If you think about Agile, right? We're all being transparent with each other. We're doing stand-up. We're talking about blocks. I'm probably not talking about my analysis work so much in stand-up, except to say to somebody, hey, by the way, Dave, I really need you today for as my tech partner. I've got a stack of stories that I need to clear out. So I really need to see you sometime today. It's an example. Does that help? It does. Yeah, it does. And I, I think for, for those BAs that are listening today, I think understanding that their, their milestone is ready as opposed to done. Um, and that maybe can help them a little bit with the conversations with if there's IT leaders or other team members that don't understand, no, no, we can't do the requirements in the sprint. We have to do it ahead. Yeah. They can have that conversation of, I'll make this transparent to you. You'll know what's coming, um, but, but this work can't happen in the same sprint that you guys intend to deliver it. Um, we do have a couple of questions. Okay. Why, don't we, why don't we take a couple of those? Um, so I think this is, a, this is a, a standard question that we get a lot. Um, what, what are the main tools that an Agile BA should know? Um, we do get a lot of questions about what tools. And, you know, Rylan, I don't know if you think in terms of like software as tools or if there might be other things that you define as the tools of the Agile BA. But, <laughs> but what do you think about that? Oh, I mean, you know, Susan, when we talk, we talk about this all the time. So it's such a big topic and we don't we don't want to spend two hours on that. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you should know whatever software, whatever agile methodology tool you're using, you know, I mean, in the sense of like what, you know, whether it's Jira or um, DevOps or whatever. But as somebody once said to me, like, if you're, you know, remember agile, a lot of this stuff started, you can do it without tools. You can just write post-it notes. That's you know, right. Not post-it notes, but index cards. And on the front is the story and on the back is the, um, the ACs. And that was one of the ways this got done and people move things along walls. So remembering your agile tools is one thing, but then your, your BA tools is another. Um, you know, as we're going to talk about next week, context diagrams, I think are a big deal. Um, and, you know, knowing how to have a good user for story format, I hate to sound self-serving there. It is just, it, it's necessary because the purpose of a user story is about the recipient, right? The person who, the developer who's going to build that thing needs to get it. It has to be fit for use for them. So you need to speak in a way that a developer can pick up this thing and easily work with it. You want to take all the confusion out of the thing first. So how do you get to there? A lot of it is the classic, you know, what we think of as classic, typical BA tools, right? Um, personally, obviously process diagrams help a lot, you know, People process tools, sometimes you want to get into SIPOC, like input, output, uh, to, you know, um, governance, things like that matter. Um, I find those matter a lot. I think um, 
you know, I, I, I'm, I mean, in my case, I'm a fan of two more major things. I'm a fan of fact modeling, kind of describing in business terms the stuff we work with so that we can always speak in a business-centric way as much as possible. Even when I'm doing a project where it's all just endpoints, we're not actually having any human user interface, it's all APIs, I still like to have the business point of the thing. You know, why does anybody even need that information? What will they do with it? So fact modeling helps you with that. And then relatedly, of course, is entity relationship diagrams. So you get some cardinality and a lot of those things, because as soon as you start dealing with data, and usually we wind up dealing with that, at least in my world, you want to be able to talk about the things in the world that matter and use a common language, right? How often do we deal with overloaded terms like customer or valuable, or my favorite one in our, just our regular line of work, done. That's why you've got to get a definition of done. As soon as they say, so yeah, that'll be done Thursday. I'm like, done, what does that mean? What is done? Because I heard the QA person say it. I've heard the client say it. I've heard the developer say it. And none of you meant the same thing. That's a good point. Yeah. So yeah. those are some of the tools. Um, I think analysis planning winds up being the last one I really want to talk about. And this is the thing I'll say, and then I'll stop. Because I, I know Scott probably has a lot of opinions on this as well. And I know you, you do when we talk. One of the biggest tools you have to have in an agile world is, as a BA, is an analysis planning perspective. You have to be able to think through your approach, communicate it, talk about what you're prioritizing to, talk about what you're optimizing to. Because the top challenge, I think, and this is for BA managers also, they look at a project and they're used to saying, well, I'm gonna do, well, we have to do, analyze all this stuff so that we can then write it into sprints. But that never worked, excuse me, in strongly agile cases, that doesn't work because we're saying, well, I got a sprint starting in three weeks. So you got to have a backlog of at least two weeks worth of development work ready for me in three weeks. And then people start pulling their hair out saying, well, how can I get this all analyzed by then? And the answer is, you're not going to. Of course, you're not going to. You're going to look at the spectrum of things you have to do, pick a couple of important things that you think you can bite off easily and analyze those in that three weeks to start building your backlog. You're going to analyze those to a, to a sufficient depth that you could give it to a developer to work on. And once you've done that, what happens? You get your next two weeks. So you're biting this off in small chunks. And as they say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. But you, you got to have a strategy for which bite you're doing in alignment with customer value, priority of the project, and other things that other people are bringing to the table. Like, are we trying to retire risks quickly? Are we trying to earn value fastest? Are we trying to drive um, a product forward as far as possible immediately? So we're going to do the low risk, easy things that are really customer valuable to earn value quickly. And then we're going to do risky things later when, when, we're, when we've already earned some value. Or are we doing risk first? Because without those things being overcome, there's no value after it. We got to do the risky things. If we can't do those, the rest of this didn't matter anyway. And all that is specific to your projects. So you have to think it through and be able to say, these are the little pieces I'm going to break off and work on. Okay, that's some great advice, Rylan. Uh, we do have more questions coming through. And as I said earlier, please keep your questions coming. We'll get to them. So we've got a few more here. The next one is one I'm really interested to hear your answer on too. Um, is there a need for a dedicated BA when we have a product owner? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think so. So here's the thing, and I kind of went over this again in the, in the recording that Susan referenced, you can get a bigger discussion on this topic. So the BA, here's the thing when, you know, Agile likes to say that that product owner has all of the skills necessary to represent the business to the development team and do all the analysis necessary to be successful at that. 
And I think that that exists, but it is relatively rare and it's very hard to get at any quantity. Okay. I mean, if you're in a startup and you've handpicked the team and you're only hiring a handful of people to do the work or possibly they're invested themselves, right? They're investing their time, you know, then, you know, you have highly motivated, highly skilled people who are really all about it and doing that. But if you go out and you say, I got to hire, I need eight product managers and eight business analysts, you're not getting that, you know, you're not going to, you're not getting that level of experience and skill because a lot of those people want to work for themselves. You know, you're not going to get them to come into a company. This is not bad. This is just acknowledging there's a lot of different ways to do the work. So I think when you, if you're dealing with a company, a conventional company of any size, you know, of any substantial size, you have an IT department of, you know, 50 to, to, to 50 or and up, let's just go 50 and up even, you know, of development side stuff, not operations, but development side. You know, you've got product managers who really know the products and want to drive them forward and be successful with those things, but they may not be strong analysts, right? They may have a product vision and drive it forward and be about revenue and how do we manage costs and how do we serve the customer, but they may not be good at saying, here's how I have to break those things into user stories, like that elephant thing I was saying earlier, that might or might not be their skill. So by taking a BA who is Core competency, these are the things we do, right? We write things for other people to make use of. That's, that's the thing, right? We create a vision, a model of the world in documents that other people can then build real world things from, right? That's our core competency. So by pairing us up with somebody who's got that, that, that has the vision of the castle in the clouds, we can either bring the castle down to the ground or we can build a scaffolding up to it with the work we do. So it's a good pairing. That, that's how I see that. It's why those two skills really go together. Um, and then the other thing that key, the key differentiator between those two roles is this. And I've, I've had to talk to clients more than once about this when we've done an agile transformation. Someone has the authority to commit the team to action. In agile scrum, we call that the product owner. Okay. The product owner is the only person with the right to commit the team to work on a thing. If you're telling me the BA has that authority, that's fine. But I, here's the test I usually apply. So if the product manager wants a certain thing and the BA says, no, nah, I don't agree with you. We're going to do this or we don't have bandwidth to do that. And the answer is, well, then that's the answer. Then they actually have the authority and that's good. And if not, then, and if that person can say, no, you're not, you're going to do what I want. Well, then the BA doesn't have the authority and you have to acknowledge that so that these two people can work together successfully and do the right thing for the business because someone is ultimately accountable for those things, right? Yeah. And that follows the authority. So product owners have authority and BAs borrow it or use it on their behalf or proxy it is usually how I see that. That's my view. There are other views that, that, are, that are also valid, but that's how I tend to see it. So from a resourcing perspective, could you have a BA working on multiple um, different projects? So they're not dedicated to that one, but they work on several because you do have that product owner? It depends. Um, it, it depends on how much work there is there. For example, um, I've been on teams where, uh, or situations where the product is very complicated, or there's a lot of forming of ideas, right? You really, nobody's sure, they know what they want the outcome to be, but they're not really sure of exactly how it should look. Like the business goal is clear, but we have to do a lot of work to figure out what we're going to say to the developer to actually construct. Well, that's a huge investment of time for the BA, 
right? To really work through that with possibly UX designer and all the other people who have to be involved. Maybe there's external partners. That always stretches your timeline, right? You have partner companies you're working with across, across things, especially if time zones become involved. I've worked with one group where they had a group in Australia. They were in the Eastern time zone US. They had a major vendor in Australia. A successful relationship, they just had to watch their communications and make sure they knew, I'm going to need to let extra time for those things when I work with that team because a lot of our communications are through email. It's just hard to get face-to-face -face electronic time. Yeah. So, and on other cases, it's been really simple and it's more of a steady state thing. There's rarely any new work to be done. There's not minor increments going on, in which case, sure, the BA can handle more than one thing. I've typically found that if you think you need a BA, you probably need one, but more or less one-to-one -one for a team, for a scrum team. If your scrum team is standard size, seven plus or minus two, right? The two pizza rules, seven people plus or minus two people. You probably have one business analyst to keep that those group of developers busy if they are just doing new product development. From there, it gets complicated. Okay, that's great. And so Susan, it, there's, a, there's a question here I want to ask you. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it, um, and I, I was actually probably, this is the next question, but I am, uh, as, as Ryland is answering that, I, here are the two takeaways that I have. Uh, because again, I'm always about these agile myths, right? Because one of those agile myths is there's no documentation, there's no requirements in agile. Ugh. And, and that is so far from the truth. Um, a user story is not a requirement. It's really a placeholder for a conversation. Um, but the other thing that I'm taking away is there is absolutely a place for analysis skills in Agile teams. So Agile, Agile analysis is not a, a separate entity into, uh, into itself. It is, um, it is based on you know, good core business analysis skills, knowing the tools and techniques of the trade. Agile is really just the way that you're applying them. Yeah. That's my takeaway. Now, but on this topic, here's the next question, which I think is kind of interesting. <clears throat> so should an Agile BA get um, Agile analysis certified, our AAC, or should they be CBAP certified, our business analysis professional certification, or should they have both? <laughs> and you've had a hand in AAC. I did. I, I wrote, yeah. I, I authored some of the questions. That's um, right. And you I were wouldn't... a contributor on the Agile analysis. Oh, hey, look what I got. I was just in, I was just in Canada. Oh, you can't see this here. Is that the, that's the AEV2, uh, Agile Extension? Yeah, that's the Agile Extension. I have a real life, that there you a go, a real life hard copy. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. And it was a real privilege to be asked back to help author some of the questions for that test. Um, and I wouldn't recognize them now at all because they go through so many processing layers, which is great. Like we write them, but then you know how it is, right? You never approve your own work world, right? Even at this level, you never approve your own work. I'm writing a question. I'm proposing answers and distractors. And somebody else is going to look at that and say, no, I don't think that's going to work that well, you know, and refine it and test it. So that was a thing. But um, I feel like so what, I lost the question you were asking. Well, that's okay. So what do you think about certifications? So this question was specifically okay. about the IIBA, Agile, and, and also I'll just throw into the mix because we've also added the product ownership yes. um, uh, analysis uh, certification as well. What do you think about uh, Agile BAs having certifications? Okay. Yes, no, which ones? Yeah, no, I'll tell you that. And I'll tell you what I tell people when I coach them and, and otherwise in our, in, you know, career workshops and stuff we do. <clears throat> and I still want to come back to the other question about, hey, what's this thing about documentation and agile? I might have a thing to throw into the chat, which I just want to have people to have. It's, it's a good thing. But back to, back to certifications. The answer is, 
yes and, not yes but, yes and, okay? Having the certification by itself will never get you the job. Please be aware of that. However, it represents solid learning. And I can genuinely say, because the CBAC was one of the harder tests I've taken, I, and it was way harder than the PMI PMP, way harder, okay? Um, I now have the language through the learning of studying to get to pass the test, a language to talk about business analysis in, in which is worlds and different above people who don't have it. And I don't mean that just for me. I mean it for anybody. Like when I say to somebody, so tell me what your elicitation techniques are, or tell me what your favorite stakeholder management technique is, or what will you do to overcome the following kinds of objections or barriers? And I'm looking for techniques. I'm looking for what they know and how they can explain that they know, because as a manager once said to me, look, as BAs, we got to be more than smart people going into a room and asking questions. We have to have a toolkit. And studying to pass the tests proves that you have acquired the toolkit and you can explain the tools, right? Um, so what I say to, to uh, folks when I coach them or when I do career workshops is go and get the certification. It definitely helps the resume. And there are enough jobs out there that say must be CBAP certified or must AAC preferred or you know PMI certification required. Whatever, whatever the certification is that's relevant for your universe, definitely go get them. And more is not bad. At the same time, be prepared for the following question because I'll ask it if I need you. What'd you learn? What do you do differently now that you've done that, that you didn't do before you passed that test or studied for that test? Because there are one or two certifications out there, and I'm not going to name them, though we all know what they are, that I like to joke, you could fog a mirror and pass that test. I mean, you didn't have to take the class to pass that test. It's just general knowledge that you could do it. It is, it is And it isn't even a complicated set of questions. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm glad you took the class. I'm glad they gave you a certification, a little certificate for passing it. That's fine. What'd you learn? Because you could have gotten, you know, the fact that that test was really easy, doesn't mean you didn't learn a lot in the class. It just means the test is designed to be, you know, more or less a simple test, right? Um, so I still want to know. Having a good answer prepared for that, that is real, that you can show where you've made a difference in your work through those things is really, really valuable. I think that's, uh, that's a great answer, Scott. I'm going to let you add to that because I know you've got, you're a CBAP. Um, what do you what do you think about that? And, and also kind of as a hiring manager. Yeah, so I agree with Ryland in terms of that, that CBAP certification is basically you understand the industry, you understand the profession, you can speak the language, you can explain it, you can, it's basically, um, I would say the gold standard in terms of being a business analysis professional. When I look at um, the specializations, such as the agile or the product owner, I look at these as an extension of deeper knowledge in those particular areas. And to Ryan's point earlier, you do learn from studying for these things. I learned from my CVAP about traceability. I learned from doing the um, business data analytics around some data analytics concepts I wasn't aware of. Um, so they are good on a resume, but I agree with you, Ryland. more important part is what you're learning from them and you will learn stuff from them. Yeah, it's extremely important stuff. Um, I'll, I'll add a final thought because I, I, oh. I actually have the AAC and, and I am also a BA certified through a different organization. But I would say that having the AAC alone would not be helpful. I really do think you still have to have that good foundation in business analysis skills and techniques. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that part of your job does not go away if you are working in an um, agile organization or a waterfall or a hybrid. St you still need to know those. I think the AAC, it, it just adds on how do you modify some of those things? What is your role on an agile team versus doing it differently? Um, all right. Okay. We ready for the next question had, or do you have one more thought? I had two things. Um, one, I did want to ask if you could share the link in the PDF to the class I'm teaching in a couple of weeks. That's right. Why don't you talk about it? Because oh. you you are, by the way, okay. you've also written a book on agile business analysis. Yeah, I think that'll still show because I don't have yeah, that. You this is, this is out there on Amazon. People know about that. <laughs> and there's a career book also. It's on Amazon. That's right. Um, I'm teaching a class. It's a three-hour class uh, in a few weeks on user stories. Um, it's a deep dive on user stories, decomposition, how to write the kind of thing I was talking about because people ask me about it all the time. And um, uh, we're going to do a deep dive on that for about three hours, um, six to nine Eastern time on, I think it's April 25th. I've got the, I don't remember the date in my head because there's a lot of different dates in my life. But <laughs> Susan, if she'll do me the favor, is going to put the PDF and the link to register for that into the chat. And um, if you're interested, take a look at that and register. You can register an individual or if you want to bring a work group, there's a group ticket thing I just figured out how to do. So that's a discount thing if you're bringing a group of five or more. Um, so please feel free to register for that. Uh, it'll be online and people will be able to do the recordings after. And I'm going to give you my best practices, real world stuff. Like this is what I do. I'm leave When I finish here today, I'm going back and I'm doing that this afternoon. <laughs> I have a bunch of user stories due to a client this afternoon so we can start prioritization. So I'll be talking about that. And um, I also want to talk about, since we're, since we're, you know, talking about all the places you'll be next Wednesday, 12 o'clock Eastern, you're going to talk about context diagrams. Um, that was a tool that you mentioned just a little bit ago, but you're going to come and talk about that to our members. Um, and so we will also uh, make sure that we point people to that because I think um, there's a lot of interest based on the number of registrations on that. Yeah. So folks, if you're out there and you want to follow either of those things too, feel free to go ahead and, I mean, connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Eventbrite. Those are good ways so that we'll know different things I'm doing uh, if they become interesting to you later on. And um, let me give you this one. I know we're, we're possibly running over a moment or two. I don't know how okay that is. Let me put this in the chat. People ask this about documentation and Agile, and it's such an important topic. Um, I'm posting this in, I think I'm doing this so that everyone can see it. I hope I'm doing that right. I'm just gonna hit enter and then I'm gonna read this a little. One of the more powerful things I learned from somebody, and it was at a conference, was, I just wish I could remember who it was who said this first, to take your agile values, and everybody knows those, I'm not going to read them to you, and invert them as a question, right? We know that we value, uh, you know, interact, um, working software over the documentation, right? The, the software is more valuable than the documentation, right? We didn't set out to just create documentation and be happy and stop. Right? We wanted the software, right? Kind of like budgeting for your vacation. The point isn't the budget. The point is to take the vacation, right? <laughs> That's right. So that begs us to ask these questions. I'm just going to read these out because I want you to think about it. That's everybody on the call, especially if you're a manager or if you're related to, to Scrum or any Agile principles, okay? Any Agile implementation. What is just enough tools and processes to enable powerful individuals and interactions? Okay, because we're not saying we don't need any, but what is just enough process, right, to let us have a way we know we're working together and we're not a bunch of, you know, peewee soccer players on the field, right? There are times we mob and scrum things, but that's not the same thing as having no structure. What's just enough documentation to enable and to create valuable working software, right? What is 
What is, we do need some, what is just enough to build the software? And that answer will be different in different places. If you're a regulated industry or a medical facility versus a startup that doesn't have either of those things going on, you just wanna make some software. You can just then, the, the documentation you need is different, right? Um, what is just enough contract negotiation to enable us to collaborate? That's a big deal in consulting because you've got to have an SOW, but you don't want it to be so locked up if you're doing agile work that you can't collaborate and shift and adapt. So what is just enough contracted container for us to be successful at working together? And then last, what is just enough planning to enable us to react to change and respond well to change, right? No planning leaves you with the whims of chance, right? Too much planning makes you feel like you're wasting the effort on the planning or you have to follow the plan because you made one. What's just enough planning? Like that vacation again, right? I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. If you're going overseas from, from the US, if I were taking a trip to Italy, there are certain things I would have to book ahead if I wanted to see them, certain museums, exhibits. You have to get those tickets three months ahead if you're gonna get them. But I don't have to figure out where I'm having lunch every day. I can do that on the fly. There is last responsible moment. There is just enough planning, okay? Uh, this, again, is a big topic. We could go on for a while about it. I just kind of wanted to share those concepts because I think that answers this. There's no documentation agile. Yes, there is. But our view of documentation is what is just enough to do the thing we want to do. And that point will vary based on what it is we're trying to do in the world we operate in. And I'll stop there. I know we're running out of time. <laughs> no, I think that's a that's a great point. And it's a great way to describe there is still documentation. It is negotiable. You want to be transparent. You want to have the conversations about it. It's not It's not necessarily one of these where you're just going to take a template off the shelf and just fill it out. The idea behind Agile is and always has been about having conversations, about being transparent, um, about doing the things that, that are going to make a difference. And that's it. In your words, just enough. Um, and I think that sometimes get lost. It gets lost in all of the ceremonies and all of the you know, shenanigans and other things that happen uh, because somebody took a class over the weekend and they, they don't realize they it's about the principles. It's not about the ceremonies. So yeah, there, the, I'm off my soapbox. No, um, yeah. But one of the great <laughs> user experience designers I worked with always said to me, look, the document is the product of the process. It captures all the work you did, all the thinking you did. So it retains. It's not the point of having the document. I could write like a fifth grader on a thing and call that a document. But that isn't the point. The point is all the work that went into creating this piece of information. The document captures the work and value. The fact that I just have one that's got stuff on it isn't the point. The point is that it's the right thing. So. Yep, that's you know. right. All right. I know we're all passionate about this. We've gone a few over. And <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know that's a sensitive thing. Well, I don't, Scott, do we want to take any more questions or do we want to maybe save those and have Ryland come back later? Well, I, I'm just going to choose one here because um, okay. it leads into what we're doing in two weeks from now. Um, it says the question to the hiring manager, how do, why do HR request basically all knowledge that you should have, um, but you shouldn't expect a BA to have everything? So why do they ask for hiring requirements? Essentially, HR is looking for everything that you possibly could have. Um, why do they put that in a job ad? And I think the way I would answer, answer that as a hiring manager I'm looking for someone who's going to hit as many of those marks as possible. And the people that are doing the interviews up front, the pre-screening are basically filtering through. So um, our topic in two weeks when we're doing our next LinkedIn Live is uh, building your career reputation. So we're going to talk about that, dig in a little bit about it. But in terms of how do you get from that 
uh, resume stage to getting an interview. It's making sure you've got as many of those as possible. And as we talked about earlier, certification will certainly give you a leg up on the competition on that. Yes. Um, so I'll hand it back to you, Susan, and we can wrap up. All right. Well, um, Ryland, we we need to have you back. There are more questions, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, yeah. It's always a great time talking with you. And thanks, everybody, for your questions today. Keep them coming. Um, and thanks for joining us. We're going to wrap up. So as Scott mentioned, uh, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about building your career reputation. Thanks again, Ryland. And uh, we'll see everyone later. Yeah. Take care. This is the end of our live session, but if you've got questions, you can send us an email at live at iiba.org or leave us a voice message and we'll answer your question at one of our upcoming broadcasts. Join us.